open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to finish chapter 3 this morning. At least uh, plans are to do so. We'll see, uh, make sure, see if we can get through all of it. There's an incredible text we have before us, um, one that I'm quite certain that I can stand before you and say that I uh, don't know that I, I can do it justice uh, completely. Uh, it's one of those texts that I found myself when I was all done and putting everything together and I had made some notes and, and, and we, we'll make a few deviations or make a few, uh, add some things around it, but there really is not a lot of other places we're going to go except for the text and um, this is not something you need to know necessarily about how I do things just functionally, but, but I mark in my Bible uh, sort of where we're going to go with the text and, and highlight the, uh, the verses that are, the, the, the key verses or important verses. I mean, that's kind of a, a bad thing to say, right, because they're all important verses, but the ones that are sort of going to give shape to the message, and, and, uh, uh, and I got done with this text, and I looked at it, and I said, I think I pretty much underlined the entire thing, so uh, Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to go to verses 14 to 21, we're going to read through the rest of the chapter, we're going to see what the Lord has in store for us, and I don't want to take any more time, we're going to dive in, so verse 14, chapter 3, Ephesians, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, Paul wrote, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, that would be to God, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God, may you speak to us from your text this morning. We need to hear from you. I pray those things that are in my head that ought to be said will come out, and I pray those things in my head that are not supposed to be said would not come out, and I pray that those things that are not in my head that ought to be said, that you would put them there, that they may come out. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. I entitled my message this morning, Rooted and Grounded in Love. If you're not already aware of this or familiar with this, uh, on the back side of your bulletin, there's a handout. Uh, really, all it is is all the verses that we're going to cover and, and go over and some space, hopefully, for you to jot some notes in if you're into that sort of thing, if it helps you keep track of the text. For this reason is the first, uh, uh, first verse, first, the way the first verse starts. And I would remind you that we are now today picking up uh, what I had told you the last couple of weeks was an interruption in Paul's letter. He was writing and he was telling us all these great truths. Well, he was telling them, but he really was telling us too. All these great truths about, about all that God has done for them through Jesus Christ, all the blessings they have in Christ, all the things that they, he wants them to realize, that they themselves as Gentiles are now part of the family of God. That though one time they were walking in darkness, one time they were following the things uh, of their own flesh, the things of the, of the power of the world, the, uh, the, of Satan, and of the rest of the world, that though they once walked in that, God's incredible grace gave them a place at the table, so to speak. He said, you are now part of it. You are now part of the family. There's no more dividing wall between Jew and Gentile or between anything, quite frankly, that you could put up there and say, well, we have access to God, you don't. 
Not true. All torn down. Christ has brought peace. In other words, we all have access to God. And he's, he's ending on the heels. This is the end of chapter 2. And so we should read the words this way. He's ending on, on these words come on the heels of these kind of words. He says, for you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. He's talking to all of us. We are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And he ends with this powerful truth in chapter 2. In him you also... All of us are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And the next words out of his mouth are these. For this reason, I bow my knees. Now, we had an interruption. And that interruption actually has some play into these words, or at least where we're going. But I tell you, this is where Paul was headed. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I could summarize our message today by simply saying, in light of the incredible truths that God has already, I'm sorry, well, he did, God did it, but in light of the incredible truths that Paul has already written about in the first two chapters, and in light of the fact that he wants it to go beyond here and into here with the Ephesians, he is going to take a moment and he's going to pray that that exactly would happen. This is essentially his prayer. It's essentially, it's a summary of what the verses are that I read to you from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14, 21, is that... Uh, all the things I've told you so far about who you are in Christ and all the blessings you have in Christ and how you belong in the family of God, my prayer is that you get to realize and know and live in that reality. Now, we're also going to see that that's, this is a hinge point for us because he's going to make a switch, and I'll pay more attention to this at the end perhaps, but he's going to make a switch and begin to talk about some very practical things, some, very, some things that are much more uh, beyond uh, or, or deeper or more apparent than the theological realm of here's what we should believe about who we are in Christ, but here's the difference it makes in our lives for who we are in Christ. And uh, that also requires some prayer. So he's kind of doing both things at once. I want you to see and know these things and, and understand them and receive them, but I also want to prepare you for what's about to come. For this reason, now I could give you a summary, but the incredible language and phrases that Paul uses deserve a little bit deeper look. I don't know if you realize these kind of things when you're reading scripture or not, but um, we actually only read two sentences in the entire time that I, the entire text I read were two sentences, something Paul is very good at doing. Two sentences. He says, I'm praying to God, and he tells, he tells them what that prayer is, and he just keeps on adding to that prayer and adding to that prayer until he's done, and then he closes it with the now to him who is able, which uh, you can actually, I think, read both ways. It's either part of his prayer still, reminding them that it's God who does these things, or it's actually him stepping away from the prayer and saying, uh, I want you to sit and know this information before we get to the next part I'm going to share with you. Nevertheless, let's jump in and see what Paul says as he prays. I, I have to interrupt myself one more time because I want you to understand that in, this, in, in, in Paul's interruption back in verse uh, 12, just before where we started, remember he used this phrase, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Like we can get to God, we have boldness and confidence as we access God through Jesus Christ. This is Paul simply demonstrating that to them. It is such an incredible 
privilege and gift that we have as believers in Jesus Christ, as those who have put our lot with Jesus, that we have access with boldness and confidence to the creator of the universe. I don't know how often you stop and think about those kind of things. Do you? You should. We should. I should. Stop and pause for a moment to marvel at the fact that you can go to the most powerful force, the most incredible being, the most all-knowing, all-powerful, unstoppable God of the universe, and you can talk to him and make requests of him. How unbelievable is that? And yet, it just rolls out of Paul like it's secondhand knowledge that we all should know and be well-versed in. We have boldness and confidence, and he says, and by the way, that's what I'm doing. I'm standing, I'm, I, well, I'm not standing. He said, I'm bowing my knees. I'm bowing my knees before the Father. Let me just, just, just throw this in there. He's the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. And I put the Greek words in there so that you could see uh, the little word game that Paul was playing. We missed this in the English because the word Father and family don't have a whole lot to do with each other. But in the Greek, they have a lot to do with each other. Before the Father, who is the pater, from whom every family or patria comes from. Now, I mean, before we get all caught up, you can make lots of points, and this is not the point of the sermon at all. But before you get caught up, just think about it logically. If Paul has gone to great lengths making a point that God is the Father and all of those who confess Jesus Christ are part of the same family, then it stands to reason that God is the Father of all of us, right? So it's simply that. Every person is named. You could talk about things like in Revelation where he, he, he refers to the naming. Jesus talks about naming and receiving a new name when we're in him. All those things, that's not the point of today's sermon. It's really just very simple, at the very basic level anyway, that uh, God is the father of all of us, certainly those who are in Christ, because we're all part of the family. He's going to use those words just in the next chapter, actually. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But then he goes on to say, and according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you. This is my prayer request, but I'm, i got to walk through each thing because each thing holds this incredible thing. And, and as, as, as we look at this phrase right here, that according to the riches of God's glory, not only, I mean, it's kind of reinforcing what I already said, but not only do we have access to God and he's powerful, but look at this phrase comes out, the riches of his glory. And Paul has been, if we've been paying attention, which I'm going to remind you in a little bit, but if we've been paying attention, Paul has been consumed with this idea of the wealth of God, the richness of God, of how much God has at his disposal. Now, right away, most of us, uh, we, we have some problems with that sometimes because we see how humans in our selfishness have taken riches and have become uh, have made it sort of a bad thing because we get selfish about it and we get all caught. But, but trust me, when God talks about his riches, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And God is incredibly wealthy. There's all, look at some of the phrases that Paul has already used. If you would go back to chapter 1, the very first blessing that he named to us in 1 uh, verse 7 about the blessings we have in Christ, he says, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I'm grateful that God has abundant riches of grace. I hope you are too. And just a little bit later in chapter 1 in verse 18, he says, I'm praying, I'm asking that, God, that you would have the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So now he talks about the riches of his glorious inheritance. Someday we shall see that glorious inheritance, I reminded us, by the way, when we went through that text, that that is actually, I believe, a reference to us, his saints. 
We are the glorious inheritance that God has redeemed through Jesus Christ and will one day put on display for all of eternity what great things he has done. How he took people like us who were big giant messes and brought us into a glorified state. Now moving to chapter 2, he uses this phrase when he is talking about what he's done. We were dead, but now we're alive. And I actually, we already talked about this in, in our sermon uh, more than once. I know I asked you more than once. But the reason God did these things, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Christ together with Christ and seated us together with Christ in the heavenly realms. Why is that? Verse 7 of, of uh, chapter 2 says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us. In Christ Jesus. Again, he uses that word, and this time he adds the qualifier to it. They are immeasurable, meaning you can try to measure God's riches of his grace, but you will never be able to, which of course reminds us of the phrase that we came to last week in chapter 3, verse 8, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Again, the wealth and riches of everything that's in Christ and the the nature of it, that it's unsearchable. You can try to search it out. You can try to track it down. You can try to, to quantify it in some way, but you can't. It's impossible. These are the riches of God. And Paul says, out of the riches of God, I'm praying that he would grant you some things. So let's look at Paul's prayer request because that's really the heart of the message today. His prayer request, what he's asking God for on behalf of the Ephesians. I'm going to choose to jump in. This is why I titled the message the way I did, but I'm going to choose to jump in the middle of that and to tell you that the framework for our, his prayer request is this part right here. He's asking ultimately that we would be rooted, or that the Ephesians would be, and we are as well then, would be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love, in the love of Christ and the love of God for us through Christ Jesus. Rooted and grounded. Words of stability, Right? Those are words of stability. He's asking that they would be stable. He's going to return to that picture, by the way, in chapter 4 here coming. That we, and he's saying that as a church, when we work together, and when the Holy Spirit is changing us, and, and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing as the body of Christ, that we're no longer unstable. We're no longer tossed back and forth. But he's talking about stability. He talks about some of these themes in his other letters. In fact, you could go to the Colossians letter, and you would see... These exact two words popping out again, that we should be rooted and that we should be grounded. A root, of course, is something that goes down underneath the ground and adds strength. It keeps things from falling over, things like trees and plants and things like that. It also provides nutrients, by the way. That's what the root does. But the root provides stability. When there's not a good root, there's not good stability. And the word grounded is the same thing. It's talking about the foundation. It's when you want to build something, you have to have a solid foundation for it to be on. Now, we could go to Colossians, but I actually want to look at Jesus' words because Jesus uh, talked about both these words as well. Remember this parable that Jesus said about the sower, the parable of the sower? You guys know the parable of the sower? You know, I think it's good for us sometimes. You guys just sit there, and, and it makes our sermons a lot longer, so sorry about that. But I think it's good for us to, 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 to not just sit, you just to sit there and listen to me because then your eyes kind of get glazed over, and you're kind of like, uh, when's this going to be? Anyway, yeah, not all of you do that, but it happens occasionally to a few of you. So I think it's good for you to interact with me. So why don't we just, the parable of the sower, why don't you help me out? What's the, how does the parable of the sower go? Jesus says, let me tell you a story. And he says, a man went out and sowed seed. And he sowed seed on four different types of ground. So I'll give you that much. So the first type of ground, he said, he sowed seed on what? What was it? You say it louder, Merlin. The path. He sowed seed on the path. By the way, if you don't know the Bible, and this is a good, good recollection, you can go back in Matthew chapter 13 and read about this. He sowed seed on the path, and what happened to that seed? 
The birds came up and ate it. You got to talk a little loud. I'm getting older in my old age, so I can't hear as well. So just speak up. Don't be afraid of that. The birds came and they ate the, the, the seeds off the ground. Okay, so the second type of seed, he threw the seed out in what? What? Yeah, the stony ground. You're like, I'm not sure if it's second or third. Yeah, that's right. Stony ground. He threw it in the stony ground. What happened to that seed? Did it come up? It started to grow and it died. When did it die? That's the important part of the, of the, of the story. When did it die? When the sun came out, right, then it died because it didn't have adequate root, all right? You kind of know we're probably where the story's going to head, but so we're going to go with it all the way anyway. So the third type of soil is what? The thorny ground. What, what happened to that? He, threw this, he sowed, the, sowed the seed on the thorny ground, and what happened? It came up, right? That's important. It came up, but it got choked out. The weeds and the thorns came up with it and choked it out, and there was no fruit there either. And, of course, there was the fourth type of soil, which was what? It was good soil. And what happened when he threw the seed on that soil? It grew, right? It, sprung, it came, it brought, and it brought forth a harvest, right? In fact, it brought forth a bountiful harvest. Now, Jesus told that story like it is, and you guys are all good Bible scholars, so you, you, you know the next part. You, I mean, you, you were sort of giving the answers in with the. But when he told that story to start with, it was just that about a guy throwing seed on the ground. And most of them, I think that day, were left like, what is this guy talking about? And so later, the disciples asked him, said, hey, what did you mean with this story? So I think we should go through that again, right? Because the, he, Jesus wasn't talking about, like, how to become a better farmer. Like, don't, don't throw your seed on the path because that's a bad idea. Or don't throw it among the, 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 the stony ground or the, the, the thorny ground. That's a bad idea. Look for the good soil. I mean, that's good farming advice too. But that's not what Jesus was after, right? He said, what I'm really talking about is the soil is people's is people and their hearts and, and their receptivity to the word because the seed is the word. And when I told you that some people threw, that the seed, some seed goes on the path that's, that's hard and packed down and then the bird came in, what I was really telling you is some people hear the word of God and Satan comes and snatches it right away and it's nothing, it's just no good. And when the seed was thrown on the stony ground, some people receive it immediately and it springs up and they're like, yes, I receive what the Bible says or I receive the word of God. I receive what Jesus done for me. But then something happened and that's actually what, why we're talking about it this morning and making a big deviation here. But Jesus said, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, those are the ones who hear the word and immediately receive what it says with joy. Yet it has no root. He has no root in himself. But endures for a while and when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Remember he said the sun came up and then it was revealed that that plant had no root. It didn't go down deep enough, which meant it couldn't draw water. It, could, it, wasn't, it couldn't endure harsh conditions. And he says that's what it's like sometimes when the word of God goes out and people say, yes, I'm in. And then some trouble arises because of what the word asks them to do. Pay attention, church. When trouble arises because of what the word asks them to do. They say, ah, and the problem is their root did not go down deep enough. Now, that's where the story ends there, but if you, I mean, at least it, for this text this morning, you know, you know the, the other type of soil Jesus went on to say, the thorns, it's when there's the word, it springs forth and we receive what Jesus has for, wants us for us, and, and we say, yes, we're going to follow Jesus, but the thorns and the weeds represent the cares of life. The things that come and choke out our passion for Jesus. The everyday or sometimes the lure of riches or sometimes the other things that are going on that we might say, oh, that might be, that might be nice to do that. We get sidetracked. And when that happens and it chokes out that growth that's happening. And, of course, we all want to have the, the good soil because that's when God sows his word into our hearts and it brings forth fruit. 
But in context of our message, which we took a big, long detour there, Paul was simply saying, I'm praying that you are rooted and grounded in love because to be rooted is what gives you stability and allows you to... Let, let, me, let's, let me just say that in plain words then because, you know, every, every one of you at different times of your lives are going through difficult things and some of you are going through difficult things right now. The way to endure difficult things, now in this context, certainly on account of the word, but in any case, is to be rooted in the love of Christ. That's how you'll move through that. It's to be rooted in the love of Christ, to know Christ's love. We're going to get to some of those things. The grounded part, Jesus actually talked about too. You know what he says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he talks about all these things that we're supposed to be like. You've heard it said this, but I say this. And he raises the bar for us so impossibly high. We're going to talk about some of those things later. And we're like, oh. And he says at the end of that, it's a cute little kid's song that we sing. But at the end of that, he says, let me tell you, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, doesn't just hear them, but does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded, or that's the exact same word as the word ground in our text today, was founded on the rock. There's stability that comes. I mean, can I just say it to you again, church? <laughs> there is stability and grounding and, and uh, ability to weather storms and to build good things when we receive the word of God and we do it. That's key, right? The last part was key. Not just to know it, but to do it. Wow. Rooted and grounded is really what we're after, but there's two kind of uh, major parts inside of this and we gotta keep on trucking here or you'll all walk out of me because you're tired of listening to me. Paul says, I have two main requests, that as, as I think, at least I'm not interpreting this, as I think of being rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, there's two things I want, I'm praying specifically for you. I'm praying specifically that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now clearly this is not talking about some kind of power to do something, like, like this is heavy and I can't lift it, or some kind of physical strength to do something or to endure some task. We can get that kind of strength and sustenance from God as well. But this is, he's saying, I'm praying for your inner man. It's the kind of idea what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, where he says, outwardly we're wasting away day by day, but inwardly we're being renewed all the time. Inwardly. I'm concerned, Paul says, more about what's happening inwardly, not outwardly. By the way, I would challenge us, myself included, I would challenge us to spend as much of our prayer time worried about what's happening inwardly with people and not outwardly. Pay attention to the kinds of prayers we lift. And, and it's okay. We should be praying when people have sickness and, and have health issues and, and, and need strength of some kind. We should be praying for those things. No question about it. But are we willing to pray as much or more about what's happening inwardly? I can tell you, in the grand scheme of things, 1,000 years from now, 500 years from now, a millennia from now, doesn't matter what... What will be, the, the, the issue will come down to won't be whether what happened on the outside, whether, whether their body crumbled or whether they died of cancer or whether they didn't or whether they survived for another 20 years. That won't matter. The inward man will matter. That's what's going to count. We should be as concerned about that. May we find ways that as we are praying for the outward circumstances in people's lives that we're just as concerned that their inner being would be strengthened with power through his spirit. Just this morning in Sunday school, I think it was Heidi, uh, not my wife Heidi, Josh's wife Heidi, uh, that, that pointed us to the fact that like when we're encouraging people going through difficult things, we, should, we need to be praying for their faith to endure because that's the, that's the crux of the moment where they're gonna walk away from their faith potentially because if something is difficult and they can't, they can't get through this. 
Paul says, I'm praying that God would grant you out of the riches of his glory, would grant you power, the strengthened through with power, through his spirit in your inner being. Now, of course, when his spirit is in you, it makes sense why he says the very next phrase. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This, of course, is simply a restatement of what he has already told them is true. So again, I tell you, he said, here's what I'm telling you is true theologically, but now I'm praying that it becomes a reality, not just theology. It's a reality that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, that there would be a residence taken up in each of your individual hearts and in our collective hearts as the body of Christ, that Christ would take up residence in there, that we would dwell, that he would dwell there, his tabernacle would be there, he would stay there, he would reside there. So prayer request number one, that there would be strength that comes to us. Darren, I so appreciate you walking up here this morning and if I might even point out, I'm sorry for pointing this out in front of everybody. I think they already see all this, but, but getting a little emotion about the fact that parenting is hard. It's hard. Just this weekend, my wife and I were, were talking about, like, just the struggles, and, and I didn't say this out loud to her, so she didn't know I thought this, but I just, I remember just the, it, what, thinking through my head, like, man, there's times when it's just, it just would be a lot easier just to give up <laughs> and just be like, whatever happens, I don't know. It's hard, right? We desperately need to be strengthened in our inner beings with the power from the Holy Spirit, not just for parenting, but for all kinds of things. There's not a person in this room that is not reliant upon the inner strength that comes from the Holy Spirit's residence being inside of them. Not a single one of you. And if you think you are, I think you're in the wrong place. Not that I'm trying to chase you away. I'm just telling you you're wrong. Prayer request number one is that we would receive strength out of the riches of God's glory and His grace, that we would receive strength with His power through His Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell there. Prayer request number two is this, simply this, that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. But, but before we get to this phrase, i got to back up because if you remember from the text or know the text, there's actually something you said before we got to that phrase that is really powerful and illuminating and matches with what he's already been saying. And so we got to, you know, jump back a bit. But I'm telling you, this is the request. But he's got to get to the request with these words. He's saying, I want you to have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of this love of Christ. Now look at those words. I want you to have the strength. Now that strength really, that word strength really means to be entirely competent in something to be competent in something. So when you've studied something long enough and trained long enough and done it long enough and operated in it long enough, then you can say, I'm competent in this. I've become competent. I'm, I'm, I'm capable. He's saying, I want you to have the strength, the competency, the ability to have studied enough, to, to have thought about it enough, to know or to comprehend. And that word comprehend, again, is also, it's not just a thing that's happening in our brains because that word really means to seize or to possess. As in when Paul says in Philippians that I have this goal and I have not, I have not arrived yet. I'm not, I'm not there yet. But there's one thing I, I do, and that's to, fit, to, to, to focus ahead. This has been my paraphrase. Forget what's behind and strain towards what that. It's that he uses that exact same word. To comprehend, to apprehend, to, to seize or possess. I'm, I want you to have the competency to have thought about it and to have dwelt on and to have, have, have pressed in so that you may uh, seize or possess this 
love of Christ. And let me just tell you about that love. It is, you could, you could measure its breadth and its length and its height and its depth. And in the vein of verse 8 of chapter 3, the unsearchable riches of Christ, he's returning that same theme. He says, basically, it is limitless. That's what he means when he says this, by the way. You will not find the border. You will not find the edge. You will not find the end. You will not have a tape measure long enough to measure the love of Christ. Now, we, we, we have to do things like this, church. We have to stop in the middle of all this and as fast as I talk and all this information I'm trying to give me, we have to stop and just allow the truth of that to sink in for a little bit. You cannot get to the end of how much Jesus loves you. I don't know any other way to say it, and I know we do a horrible job of conveying that to each other all the time, but it doesn't mean it's not true. Because what he's going to say next, as powerful as that statement is, if it's possible in some way, he actually, he actually ups it yet, because then we're going to come back to the phrase I began with. I'm just going to, because he says, I don't want you just to have thought about it enough so that you can begin to comprehend or to seize or, or to try to wrap your mind, mind around how much Jesus loves you. I want you to know that love. I want you to experience that love. I want it to go from here to here. I want it to be coursing through your blood veins, so to speak. I want it to be way deep down in here that there's not a question in your mind that Jesus' love will not ever stop for you. <laughs> it's at these moments you might ask, was it not enough that he went to the cross for you? Did he not show you how much he loved you when he laid his life down for you? Or have you not become convinced of that yet? Are you not sure about that yet? That he laid aside his royalty and his godness and his, his perpetual living and he said, I'm going to put myself in a container that was going to die and I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be made fun of. I'm going to be beaten up. I'm going to be mis, mis, uh, uh, misunderstood and I'm, I'm going to be lied about. I'm going to be all kinds of stuff. And I'm going to do it for all these people that are muddling around. Because I love them. I don't know if we even deserve to go on until, until we've acknowledged and wrestled with that. Like it, I, I just think sometimes it gets so, like we're believers and we grew up in the church and we know all about Jesus' love for us, blah, 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 yeah, yeah, move on. And I'm like, <laughs> either we're not really aware of how great as love is or we're not really aware of how sinful we are. I don't know which it is. Maybe both. But I don't know if we deserve to move on in a text like this if, if that's old news to us or something we don't want to just stop and say, don't say, any, don't say another word. Let me just sit 
and thank the Lord Jesus Christ for his great love for me. And the Father's love, we sang that song. How vast beyond all measure. It's not part of the script. <laughs> but it is part of what Paul's trying to accomplish with Ephesians and what I think needs to be accomplished in us is that as we have spent time in the first couple of chapters of Ephesians learning about what God says about what's true about us, that it doesn't just sit up here in our heads somewhere and we know all the great theology about what the Bible teaches us but that it becomes something that we actually live out, that we are strengthened, that Christ is dwelling inside of us, and that we know the love of Christ that is unknowable, <laughs> that we know the love of Christ that is unknowable, that we at least attempt to measure the immeasurable riches of his grace, that we at least attempt to search out the unsearchable riches of Christ, that we will know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and he's going to end up in the exact same place where he ended up with the first prayer request. Notice this. First, end of the first prayer request was that Christ would dwell in our hearts. And the end of the second part of that prayer request is that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. You're really saying the same thing because all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus Christ. You know that, right? Scripture makes that clear. All the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus Christ in bodily form. God was pleased with that. He said, I'm going to put all of, he's going to be an exact image and representation of me. So when Christ is dwelling in us, that is the fullness of God. Once again, by logical extension, I, I, I have to point out to you how, how inarguable it is that if the riches of Jesus Christ are unsearchable and the depths of his love are immeasurable and all this riches of stuff, and then he comes and dwells in us, that means all of that is dwelling inside of us. All of that is dwelling in us. Remember, again, this is a corporate letter, not just, it does, it's true here, but it's a corporate letter in us. When's the last time you looked at people you went to church with and said, they, they are part of the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ that I'm seeing in bodily form. They're part of that. Now, they, now we, that's not, it's not about us, right? It's not, it's not like I'm anything. But it's Christ's residence in us. It's the fullness of God who fills all of everything, who's taken up residence among us. We're going to get to more of that as we get through. It's, it's the importance of the church, and I, I, I've got to save that for then. But I want us to see that Jesus talked about this kind of very same idea, being filled, having Christ dwelling us, being filled with all the fullness of God. It begins in the Beatitudes. When Jesus gave the Beatitudes, one of them is this, Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be, now in the ESV it uses the word satisfied, but a good chance the translation you're reading uses the word filled. It's the same word. They may be pleirohod, which, by the way, I don't have time for this. Pleirohod is such a fun word. It doesn't just mean like, like when you have a container, you kind of threw some in and it got close to the top. Pleirohod actually has the idea of being rounded, like it got filled up and rounded over. Like when, you've, when, you, when, you, when, you, fill, when you fill something, it's not just like barely. It's like pl it's plenty. It's in the plentiness of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled 
what do you think you can be filled with? You can be filled with Christ, who is our righteousness, right? But just a couple of verses later, Jesus says this, and I want you to see how it ties into our text this morning. Matthew 5, 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That word perfect means complete. It's another way of saying full. We should be full just as God is the fullness. That's what that means. We are to be filled with the fullness of God so that we are full as God is full. Now, let me just stop for a moment. We still have a little bit of text to go, if you'll permit me the grace to, uh, out of the riches of your grace, <laughs> permit me to continue going on. Or you might just say I'm taking advantage of your time either way. But let me just stop for a moment, if you're willing to ask, let me ask you a question. When you think to the ground we've covered this morning already, Paul's powerful prayer request I'm praying that you would be strengthened with his power through this Holy Spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in you. And I'm praying that you would know, be able to comprehend the immeasurable boundaries of Christ's love for you, and not just know about it, but that you would know, you would experience his love so that you may be filled with all the fullness. How does that leave you feeling this morning? I'm actually really curious to what that, I don't have any answers in mind necessarily, but how does that leave you feeling? Or are you going to say something? It makes you feel small. Why does it make you feel small? <laughs> Somebody else. Thank you, Lynn. How does, that, how does that leave you feeling? I go, what are you feeling right now? Are you checking your watch and saying it's time to be done? Unworthy? Unworthy? You want to be a part of that? Is that what you I'm glad to be part of it. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Grateful? Yeah. Grateful. This is good, by the way. You're supposed to be a responsive part of the, of the sermon, right? The message is supposed to have an effect on you. I found myself at the end of when I was studying for this text, I found myself sitting at my desk and getting to about this point, and I found myself having two strangely opposite things actually almost happening in me. At first, I found myself greatly encouraged, and I thought to myself, if I knew people were praying for me like this, wow, if, if, if I could bring our church to pray like for each other and for people out there like this, that's incredible. How encouraging is that? How uplifting is that? But I also found on the other hand, I found myself again realizing I just watched the bar go from where we might want to try to bring it down to to say, oh, it's to go like this, right? Right? What is this task before us? And how likely is it that I can carry this task out? <laughs> you already know the answer. I hope you know the answer to that. That's why I feel like this. Because I recognize how great God is and how it's all about him and what he wants for me to be filled with all the fullness of God. And I look at my life and I say, oh, 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 that's, oh. You know what I mean by that, right? I'm not even close. Which is why I think exactly why Paul says the last part that he says. Because look what he's going to say. Now to him who is able... All the stuff I just prayed for you, Paul says, I want you to know that not a stitch of that is going to come from you. 
It's all going to come from God who is able. I'll just put the rest of the verse up there. I want to stop there because I want to just make the point that God is able. Doesn't matter what it's talking about. But in this context, he is able to do far more abundantly, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that's at work within us. So while it is incredibly encouraging, and while I think we should, by the way, pray exactly these kinds of prayers. In fact, if you want to memorize those verses, I think it would be great if you would pray those prayers for me and for each other as we go through life. To pray these prayers, that you be strengthened with His power through His Spirit in our inner being, and that you would know the love of Christ that you could be filled with all the fullness of God. And we pray those prayers and how encouraging that is, but at the same time to recognize that the bar God has for us is really, really high. What he wants from us is the verse I just had up there, that we would be perfect as he is perfect, that we would be complete as he is complete. That is his heart's desire for you. That is what he wants for you in the end. And he wants to get us there. And he wants us to realize that when we begin to look at those things, just like the children of Israel looked at the giants in the land and said, no way, we are grasshoppers to them. He says, Hi, can I remind you, by the way, that God is able to do far more abundantly, far more abundantly. There's like superlative upon superlative. Go to where you think it might be beyond God's power and then just keep on going into the stratosphere because that's what God's power is far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Have, have you had occasions like this where you just thought to yourself, man, it'd be nice if God would do this. You didn't even pray it. You weren't even, you didn't have enough, I, I'll just, I, I'll forget, forget saying you. I have those moments where I think things sometimes and I don't have enough faith to even pray it and then suddenly God does it and I think, God, what are you doing? How do you do things like that, right? But more than we ask or think, more than we might even imagine. And trust me, this is not a health and wealth kind of thing like God wants to make you supremely rich. It is saying when you think the giants in the land will keep you from walking in freedom from pornography or from hate or from unforgiveness or bitterness or from being able to love people or to get along with them or to go to church with them or to care about them enough to expend tons of energy of yours to help them grow in Christ. When you think it's impossible to get there, he says, no, God is able to do far more abundantly. And when they look like it's impossible, like their heart could never change, they would never get back to where they want to be. Or they, they're so far gone. He says, no, God is able to do far more abundantly than anything you can even ask or think. So why don't you try? Why don't you ask? Why don't you just come to me and say, could this happen, please? Oh, boy, that makes me feel like this. Because I hear Jesus say, oh, ye of little faith. And since it's God doing all the work, the next sentence makes perfect sense, or the rest of the sentence make perfect, makes perfect sense, that to him be the glory in the church, in us, among us, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, generation after generation, forever and ever, no end, amen. I'm going to leave that there for now. I want you again just to see this is a transition verse. We'll pick a little bit up this next week maybe so I don't have to take more of your time. Thanks for your patience with me. It is a transition verse Paul's going to be talking about. But you talk about things that are tough to do. Look at the next three chapters and Paul's going to outline what it looks like to have Christ working in you. 
And there'll be some challenges and bumps, right? Because he's going to point out some things that are tough for us to live as a new people, to live as a church together, focused on the gospel and helping each other and growing so that we're all, all growing in Christ. He's going to talk about husbands and wives and how they get along with each other, how they should get along with each other, and children and how they should interact with their parents and how we come against Satan and all kinds of things that are going to come in chapters 4, 5, and 6. And you see that last phrase, to him who is able to do abundantly, far more abundantly, sorry, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen, is just as much looking forward to the next three chapters as it was looking back to what he's just finished up, what God wants to do in us. Would you stand this morning? We're going to pray together. I'm going to invite you this morning. I know time has run on, and I really do sincerely appreciate your patience with me. But I'm going to invite you. You're all standing, and I don't, I'm not going to make a big deal about it. I'm going to read Hebrews 13, verses 20 to 21. I'm going to invite you. Do you have something you want to say, Albert?